In the realm of modern software development, clear and comprehensive documentation is essential for guiding users and contributors alike. Developers often struggle to create, manage, and maintain documentation that is both user-friendly and visually appealing. In this episode, we sit down with Sebastian Lorber, the lead maintainer of Docusaurus, a widely acclaimed open-source static site generator, purpose-built for documentation sites. Sebastian sheds light on how Docusaurus empowers developers to effortlessly build and deploy documentation websites that are not only functional, but maintainable and easy to brand. This episode of Software Engineering Daily is hosted by Mike Bufulco. Check the show notes for more information on Mike's work and where to find him. Welcome back to Software Engineering Daily. My name is Mike Bifolco. I'm one of your co-hosts, and today we're talking about a topic that's uh, something that comes up quite often in the life of uh, developers who are building products. Whether you're building something for yourself or integrating with someone else's tooling, something that we bump into left and right, uh, whether we realize it or not, is documentation written by other people. Uh, in particular, putting together documentation that is meaningful and useful is a real challenge, and the structure uh, by which docs are written and put out into the world is actually kind of something that's uh, an unsung hero for a lot of us. Um, if you've worked on a, a project where you've integrated with a product or an API or a tool that uh, instructions were not clear, uh, it can be very, very frustrating. And for teams where you're trying to move quickly and deliver on something um, in a hurry, uh, documentation can either make or break uh, your experience just as well if you're building something for yourself keeping good documentation and keeping structure and um, high quality um, written uh, notes to yourselves about the way you're building your product is super important too. Um, and building this out in, with a modern uh, developer experience is something that can take away uh, quite a bit of stress for development teams and for product teams. So uh, today I'm very lucky to be sitting down with Sebastian Lorber, who uh, is a um, luminary of the React world, is someone who uh, I bump into on the internet all the time uh, in, in a variety of ways. And we're going to talk a little bit today about Docusaurus and some of the things that Sebastian's got going on there, as well as his career and uh, many of the things that he's uh, brought to the world along the way. Um, Sebastian, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. How are you doing today? I'm fine, and thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. Very happy to have you. Um, so for folks who haven't um, met you before, why don't we start here? Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself uh, and your career leading up to where you're at now and sort of the, the journey you've been on uh, as, a, as a developer, as someone in the tech world? Uh, yeah, so I used to be a back-end developer and I didn't even like front-end development in uh, 10 years ago, but uh, somehow JavaScript uh, caught up and now is a pretty nice language. Uh, I was CTO of a startup and uh, I saw my team, uh, front-end team, was struggling with front-end, so I was not a front-end developer and uh, just at that time, a rag came out, so I thought that uh, it was a great opportunity to, to become uh, better at front-end and since then, uh, I do mostly front-end and mostly React. Uh, so this is how I became a React developer. Um, six years ago, I started to become a freelancer and I started to produce content because I wanted to attract better customers and to to do some consulting and with higher rates. Um, so this led me to create a newsletter called This Week in React, uh, which is uh, now quite popular and read by uh, uh, 25,000 uh, uh, persons in the world and growing fast. So um, this is a quite significant project for me now. and. 
At the same time, when I started the newsletter, I had the, the opportunity to work for Facebook as a freelancer on, uh, on Docusaurus, which is a static site generator that we will talk about. Uh, it was um, supposed to be a three months project, but now it, uh, it still continues today. So it's over three years now, and I still work with Facebook, and it's planned that uh, this continues. So um, the thing is, um, I kept my newsletter, so I have two projects in parallel. I have the newsletter on one side, I have the, the Facebook project Docusaurus on the other side, and I try to arbitrate my time so that uh, I can uh, give enough time to each project, which is quite uh, challenging. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, they're, they're two pretty tall projects. Both of them are pretty time-consuming. Uh, one of the things I'm interested in hearing about is kind of how you decide, uh, you know, where to, where to develop your time. So um, obviously, DocuSource seems like the sort of thing that during product development cycles, it probably takes more time uh, away from your day at some times and has a little more demand on your life. And uh, I would imagine uh, This Week in React uh, has to go out every week. So uh, is it something where you, you carve out roughly the same amount of time each week to work on This Week in React and uh, the rest of the time is for DocuSaurus or does it work in another way? Um, yeah, so, somehow this is quite challenging because both projects uh, would uh, need uh, more time. <laughs> um, but I decided to split uh, half and half. So now I spend half of my time on the newsletter and the other half on, on DocuSaurus, which is not enough for both, unfortunately. But... Uh, uh, this is the only way to keep uh, to keep making both of them uh, work. So, so I try to to do my best. And uh, it, it sounds like maybe this week in React um, came alongside your freelance career, right? Like you started freelancing and started writing as a way to drum up an audience. Um, was there was that an intentional decision? Was this like something that you started doing because you uh, had a hunch that it would work, or were you going on advice from someone, something like that? So my, my goal with the, the content production and the newsletter that came a bit later was mostly to, to reach uh, French customers because I'm from Paris and uh, to be able to, to sell uh, higher consulting jigs. But the thing is, um, I never benefited from this because I work off for Facebook now. So <laughs> I, I have a lot of visibility to get work, but uh, I, don't, uh, I don't need work. So... <laughs> Um, I decided to keep the newsletter, but uh, it was, uh, you, you know, somehow I, I, I needed to figure out how to monetize it because it's, it uh, takes a lot of time and it's not profitable if you invest uh, one or two days a week on, on a project and you don't get any return on investment. So now I'm able to make a living from the newsletter thanks to sponsors. Like many incubation newsletters that uh, developers follow, uh, I include uh, ads in the newsletter. So this, is, this permits to make the, the project sustainable. And over time, it compounds. So maybe uh, maybe in a few years, it could become a full-time job. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting thing. Honestly, from my perspective, like I, I think your name comes up so often when I search for things because of uh, this, week, this week in React, uh, giving me lots of answers to questions I have because you're sharing information that's new in the React world from you know, people writing about things or, or um, YouTube videos and things like that that are really impactful and influential. And as I bump into them, I'm learning from smart people, but also like your name comes along with all of those. So I think you're sort of building Sebastian, the brand as well here too, uh, which is probably valuable in itself. Happy to hear that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about DocuSaurus. So tell me about uh, the product um, in, in a world where we have lots of choices for static site generators. What was the... Um, 
uh, I guess, the genesis of DocuSource? Where did it come from? So the um, I, I wasn't there at that time, but maybe uh, seven years ago, there was a need at Facebook, which was to to be able to document uh, their projects, not only the external open source projects, but also internal projects that they don't share. So their solution at that time was to to create a Jekyll template and copy paste it uh, from one side to, to another. And of course, it became uh, quite difficult to maintain because you had to, every time you add a new feature to the template, you have to somehow backport it to all the documentation sites manually and there are merge conflicts and things like that. So this was uh, quite complicated. And the idea of Docusaurus was to create a static child generator where you can just focus on writing the content and then it creates a static site. And you can deploy it easily on free hosts like uh, GitHub pages and things like that, like any uh, static website. So this is how Docusaurus 1 was born. Uh, so the idea is that all the dependencies to, to make all this work are behind a single dependency that is Docusaurus. And you just run a, a command line and then you are able to start a dev server to work on uh, on your site. And then you can also run a build command that permits to generate uh, the static site. So the idea is that your project is just a node project where you have uh, markdown files and you will run a command and then you are able to, to deploy your site uh, quite easily with the command line. And also it's it's based on Node.js and uh, the first version was using React but as a server-side templating language. So it was not using React client-side for interactivity. This is uh, this is something that came later with version 2 of Docusaurus which builds this time a, a real uh, single-page application and as a modular architecture so that you can uh, create plugins and things like that. So, um, the, the version one one was somehow a proof of concept of uh, how to make it uh, how to make a static site generator with React based on Markdown files, and version two was the more polished version, which is also a real React application because you can uh, bring interactivity. You you have the React hydration uh, running, and uh, also the the seat may be a bit easier because you load React on the client this time, so. Somehow, uh, I think this is uh, something that not everybody agrees on, but I think React can be beneficial on the client side too, even for a documentation website, that some people will not agree with uh, with this idea for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think it's hard to have an opinion in the React world that isn't at least a little bit controversial. Um, yeah, so my understanding was that V2 added uh, quite a bit of... Um, uh, ability for people to, to customize things and to use a lot of the, um, oh man, I hesitate to use the word typical, but like the things you think of when you're using React, uh, interactivity writing with um, uh, interactive Markdown with uh, MDX, right? So you could embed React bits in, into Markdown and whatnot. Um, and seems like it added quite a bit of um, uh, also tooling for SEO so that documentation was, uh, I guess, crawlable by like the Google search crawler and things like that. Um, what was, um, what was the main goal of the release? Was it, was it, um, primarily to make it easier to develop on, or were these all features that were sort of, um, a little easier, or a little more, um, uh, I, I don't know, in demand from your user base? Uh, so the, the thing is, uh, version one of the Cusaurus was quite successful, but it was quite monolithic. So 
the code base was uh, not a bit messy, not well tested, and uh, not extensible. So you, when you build a set, you you couldn't really customize it outside of uh, providing some CSS selectors and changing colors. But the the structure of the site was uh, quite similar from one site to another. And um, I think one of the benefits of version two was mostly to to give a lot of flexibility. You can override any React component that you that we create uh, for you. So if you don't agree with uh, the way we display the things, you can uh, you can swap our code for yours, and you can uh, really adapt your site to your branding. And we have seen great companies and uh, adapt uh, the version two of the Cusaurus and customize their sites. For example, React Native. Uh, and also other companies like Figma, Snapchat, and LinkedIn, and many others. And if you look at their site, they customize it so well that uh, even me, when I come to the site, I'm not even sure that it's using the Cusaurus, and I have to, to use the dev tools to be sure that, uh, that it's the case. Sure. Yeah, that is that is a very successful uh, brandable product. Uh, it's uh, I feel like there was an era for dev tools online where doc sites all looked the same. Uh, and I think some of that was that tooling didn't support it. And some of that was just that there wasn't much focus on, um, the value of branding docs and the value of making docs feel like they're a part of your, your, um, you know, company's brand, uh, wholesale. Um, so I guess that that all then brings us to, uh, version three of Docusaurus. Uh, and so that, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So version three, uh, actually is, uh, mostly a dependency upgrade so we are finally uh, adopting react 18 which is released uh, i think over a year ago now but uh, we didn't uh, make the uh, grab the grid uh, so far so i'm catching i'm catching up on uh, on this uh, release and hopefully i will be able on version 3 to, to take advantage of uh, some new features like uh, the, the transition api and things like that and um also we have mdx2 which was also released quite a while ago, but was quite a challenging migration. And um, it's a more, more powerful and cleaner version of MDX, which is the markdown uh, which allows to embed React component inside of it to bring interactivity. So the, the way version, R, version one of MDX were, uh, was implemented was uh, a bit hacky, relying on, um, on string concatenations and things like that, and now there is a better IST for the um, for the version two, and it's easier to write um, clean MDX2 plugins to extend the 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 way Markdown is parsed and uh, and how you can uh, create some custom syntax and things like that. It's better for all these things. Um, so I think it's a nice upgrade, but it's quite challenging because. There are some breaking change, and uh, we have to explain to all the users that have some documentations that they will need to to do some tweaks to to their documentation to be able to adapt it. And um, there's also something that I think is quite interesting that comes with MDX2 is that there is a there is the ability to have a, a common mark mode which was not supported before. So now, if you already have an existing documentation in common mark. Um, you can disable the MDX mode. So instead of using uh, React inside your Markdown files, you will be able to use a regular HTML elements in your Markdown file. And if you already have a common Mark documentation uh, in place, you can adopt Docusaurus without um, modifying too much the documentation because uh, 
your existing uh, common Mac files will be compatible with the new version. Yeah, and so um, I only recently learned about common mark. Com common mark is a, um, I guess you would call it a superset of Markdown, right? Can you give a little more details about what common mark exactly is? So um, common mark, yes, is is kind of uh, the 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 standard for Markdown. I I don't know if it's officially the standard or whatever, but uh, the idea is that uh, this is the um, a subset of all the things that we can do on Markdown that many uh, people agreed on and uh, many try to respect the, the specification. Uh, it's not a super broad specification, so you can't do a lot of things and there are some people that are trying to extend it with new features like uh, I'm particularly ex excited for uh, remark directives, which is a syntax that we use for the Cusorus to create uh, admonitions and callouts and things like that. So this is not part of the Markdown, uh, the common Mark specification, but I think it would be a, a great addition. And MDX supports it well, so um, you can do many things with Markdown. And thanks to MDX, you can do even more things. And thanks to extensions like uh, the Markdown directives that eventually will come uh, to the common Mark specification, uh, you can do even more things. So. This is a this is a nice upgrade to to be able to support both MDX2 and support Common Mark so that uh, people can easily adopt uh, the the more compliant uh, version of Markdown because MDX is not uh, compatible with Common Mark. It's uh, it's different. It's quite similar, but there is a, there are some differences in terms of uh, of syntax. Certainly, yeah. My my. Um layman's take on it perhaps is that mdx allows you to do much deeper customization uh but is far less cross compatible so uh it's unlikely you'll be able to copy and paste your mdx to a, a github issue or a github readme and have it work uh because there's a lot more that goes into the specification like you essentially have to to uh tell markdown which react components you want to render and how the the rules work for all that um and um, common mark is more about uh, giving a spec that will, that hopefully everyone will adopt over time. Um, so, DocuSource is an interesting case, I think, too, because it's uh, under the covers. It's a static site generator, and uh, you know, so this is this is just a nice way to build a highly performant, searchable, navigable um, web page in a single page app. Um, do you find that there are folks who use DocuSource for things that are not like? traditional documentation for other uses? Uh, yeah, actually, there are a lot of uh, developers that are using the uh, uh, site for their portfolio. So this works great too. Um, you can have a landing page in a blog, for example, and that, that's nice. Uh, my newsletter is running on Docusaurus also, so this is uh, something I thought it, were, it would be a good idea to be able to, to use my own tool for the, for the job. So that it permits to also notice uh, things that are missing so that I can implement them uh, for my own need. And um, the thing is, you can have multiple blogs on DocuSaurus. So what I have is um, one blog for the newsletter and one blog for the newsletter articles, which is a different um, blog. You know, they're, they're, it's not the same pagination somehow. Uh, you you go from one one issue to another, from one week to another on uh, one feed, and from the articles, it's the last article and then the, the previous one and things like that. So I wanted to have two things separated. And the Quizorus works great if you want uh, multiple blogs. 
Uh, also, if you want to create some uh, communautary blog, it's possible because uh, we have uh, we support multiple authors and things like that. So uh, you can um, you you can um, create a team that creates a lot of blog posts and uh, assign each blog post to to many authors, and um, it's quite easy to set up. We have a few of our cases. Uh, yeah, it's a great place. Yeah, we have um, we have a, a seat showcase on Docusaurus where you can see a lot of uh, different uh, sites that are using Docusaurus. Um, there are many also uh, product sites that are built with Docusaurus. So, because you can create your landing page with React, you have you have the ability to 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 do whatever you want. Uh, there are some products that implement their landing page with Docusaurus. For example, uh, Quest DB which is a database I think you had on, on the podcast, I think. I don't remember exactly, but uh, I think you had uh, them on the podcast someday. And uh, they implement uh, their landing page on Docusaurus, and when you click on the docs, uh, you stay on the same site somehow. It ends up being a really nice place to author and collaborate, uh, in particular for teams that are like very familiar with the Git flow and who, who tend to write naturally in Markdown. Um, which, uh, you know, for developer teams is probably a, a fairly native thing to be able to do. Um, so um, tell me a little bit about the launch of version 3 and, and uh, what's coming there. Like, what's the timeline? Uh, what are you working on uh, in the alphas here? So for, for me, the idea of uh, launching the version 3 is to... Uh, first, we, we already merged the pull request that we wanted to merge for this version. So this was uh, React 18 and MDX2. Um, now, for me, the, the goal is to upgrade some uh, Facebook sites like uh, Jest and uh, React Native to the version 3 alpha. And if it's successful, um, I will pass the, the release uh, as a beta. And if it's not successful, I will try to make additional fixes so that it's not uh, difficult to upgrade. And uh, in the process, I'm taking a lot of notes so that uh, I can uh, get um, material to, to be able to write the upgrade guide because we will need to, to write a guide to help the users do the upgrade uh, for their own site. So the, the goal for me is that when these two sites are upgraded, I am more confident that we can move to the beta stage. And uh, once we are in the beta stage and we have some upgrade material, we will get some uh, additional feedback from the from the community that will try to upgrade their own sites. And from there, if uh, if many sites are able to upgrade to the beta, we are able to, to release uh, the first uh, the, the first release candidate and, and later the general availability of the version 3. So that's my plan. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that's a good plan. It sounds like you're pretty close uh, with the alpha here. And Definitely um, encouraging to see that this is something that you're using and Facebook is using along the way uh, to really experience the product there too. Um, the um, uh, I, I'm also interested in hearing a little bit about the open source community that surrounds DocuSaurus. So uh, DocuSaurus, I believe, can be found on GitHub at uh, github.com slash Facebook slash DocuSaurus. Uh, and, and I'll make sure we drop a link in the notes here, of course. Um, what is uh, what is your open source process like? RPR, um Third-party, like non-Facebook employees, able to contribute to the product via pull requests or issues preferred. What what does your um, process look like there? For small issues, I think uh, you can open a pull request directly. If it requires some uh, breaking change and uh, uh, API design, I think it's better to open an issue because uh, we want to to work on this together before 
before you submit a pull request and I close it immediately because it's, it's bad if you put some time to work on this and then I tell you that this is not the direction that we want to, to take. Um, for small issues, I try to, to create also first um, good first issues, you know, for external contributors that want to, to give a try to, to contribute to the project so they can uh, easily pick uh, one issue that is not too hard and that we already uh, gave the direction for how the problem should be solved. They just can't submit a pull request right now. Um, something I do more recently is that um, um, I prefer to receive a pull request immediately rather than people getting into issues and uh, claiming the issue because uh, very often people claim an issue and we they go silent for two weeks and we don't get any news. So uh, it's a bit complicated. I, I prefer to not assign easy issues until there is already a draft pull request because uh, otherwise uh, people claim the issue and and they and then they don't work on it so <laughs> this is not uh, not good that might deter other people from working on the issue when that happens too um yeah it looks like uh, you know from a brief glance at the uh, repo there's a lot of activity which is always really encouraging to see too um the um the, the process of working with a large community, you know, when you're building an open source product is really an interesting thing because you need to find a way to be um, collaborative, but also uh, set some rules that that give everyone a better chance of success. Uh, so that sounds like a really nice way to sort of apply some, I don't know that you'd call it governance, but um, community guidelines around the product that, or rather the project that helps everyone to, um, you know, collaborate in a way that doesn't waste anyone's time either, which is really nice. Okay, so let's let's talk next then about um, the so with the release of DocuSource v three coming, I think there's a, a lot of um, opportunity here for people to get in and use it for the first time if they haven't uh, given a, sh a shot before. Uh, what does Hello World look like for DocuSource? Like getting just getting started, how does that process? Um, uh, what does it look like? Yeah. Uh, okay, so this is something I'm quite uh, proud of actually because. Um... I try to create the, the shortest tutorial ever. Um, so the idea is that first you, you you don't have to install anything to be able to try DocuSaurus first. You just have to go to the domain docuSaurus.new uh, and uh, it takes maybe one minute to load uh, things like uh, dependencies in, um, in a web browser. We are using uh, either CodeSandbox or Stackblitz or, or Stackblitz to be able to to run the node docuSaurus project inside your browser so you don't have to install anything to give it a try. And uh, once you initialize the, the new project locally or in your browser, what you get first is a tutorial that maybe lasts uh, five minutes. And the thing is, it's uh, it's really playful. The idea is that you, you should be able to understand the value proposition of uh, docuSaurus by really uh, giving it a try, not just uh, reading boring documentation, but we tell you exactly what to do. We tell you create uh, this file, uh, then create uh, this other file, and you understand through uh, this uh, through this this way uh, the value proposition of the QSOS. So basically the the idea is that you just can write markdown files and get a, get a good result from that because we are using file system conventions. So if you, if you write the, the right file at the good place, you will see it appear in your UI. And uh, we try to make this uh, quite intuitive with a good default so that uh, you understand uh, out of the box how it works. 
Yeah, that's really nice. So that that is a very very tidy onboarding. Uh, li- literally zero local um, install is something that is um, enviable, definitely. And I um, have gone through it myself, and I think one of the nice things about it is that the onboarding is really gentle. Like it it tells you what's happening and tells you what to do, but also kind of does a, a nice job of balancing. Uh, here's what you do next with this is why you're doing this, or this is like the reason that you need to know that these files exist. Um, and I think that's something that provides an easy on-ramp for folks who want to get to use this. And I'm pretty sure with both, um, excuse me, with both Code Sandbox and StackBlitz, you can download your source code afterwards. So the uh, outcome of the um, uh, docusource.new onboarding step is that you then have code that you can put into your own repo or download locally, whatever your process is, uh, and and uh, use what you've done in the tutorial to then turn into something more meaningful if that's what you'd like to do. Uh, I don't know if you can download the code maybe, but uh, I think uh, the the tutorial is really too too short and very very small. Uh, you you just uh, finish it in under five minutes, even if you didn't uh, if you never used Docusaurus before. So uh, I'm not sure that it's worth downloading the end result because it's really for the educational purpose and. Um, the files that you created, you maybe don't want to keep them. You just want to understand how it works, but not. Uh, you are not progressing toward your goal of uh, creating a real documentation. You are just uh, giving it a try somehow. That's that's also fair. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, when once you understand that, you can uh, you can easily do the same locally and uh, this time uh, try to create a more meaningful uh, documentation. Yeah. Uh, I I really appreciate that, and I think that um, this gets out of the way of teams pretty quickly. Uh, it makes the product easy to use, and it lets them obviously get to the goal of making their their tooling, their API, their whatever it is that they're making um, the documentation more easy for the team to build, more easy for end users to consume, and uh, you know do all the other good things that we talked about, like branding and interactivity and whatnot. Um, it's it's really an interesting product, and I think that. Uh, the nice thing about it is that it's so self-contained and so um, compact and easy to use, uh, and it comes with all the performance that you would expect, um, w- which is super nice to see. Um, what Actually, one of the things that I forgot to mention before, one of my favorite things about it is uh, there's a plug-in for OpenAPI as well. Um, so uh, it's it's smart about that. Do you mind uh, talking about that a little bit as well? Uh, yeah, actually, it's not. A, we don't have just one plugin for OpenAPI. We have three. And uh, there are third parties, so this is not something that uh, I work on personally, but I know that there are, there are uh, multiple companies that decided to create plugin for OpenAPI. And actually, you, you don't even need an OpenAPI plugin to to use OpenAPI inside Docusaurus because of MDA. Thanks to MDX, you can just write uh, React components inside your Markdown files and you are able to create an, an open API client client from the, I think it's a JSON definition or something like that. And uh, if you write some uh, some client for open API, you can uh, install it inside your documentation as an embedded React component and it also works. Uh, what, I, what I wanted to say is that you, you, you can do this by embedding React components inside your MDX documentation, but you can also use, for example, the Redocusaurus plugin which use a Redux, and I think it's an open API client. And this time it will generate, uh, for each endpoint, it will generate you one Docusaurus page or something like that. So uh, you have two options. You you can integrate it more manually and more customizable. 
uh, or you can uh, just use a fully fledged plugin that will create all uh, everything for you for free but is uh, a bit uh, less uh, less flexible to customize so uh, the docusource um, code base itself uh, can you tell me a little bit about how that's built obviously it's probably a safe bet that it's built on top of react or built with react um, is this a project that uses um, uh, I don't know typical standards or structure that um, uh, T, but React developers might have run into in the wild before, or is it something that's a little more custom? Um, so it's a TypeScript monorepo using um, Learner.js for handling the monorepo. Uh, we use React for the front end, and we use Node.js for the uh, parsing the Markdown files and creating the data structures and things like that. So the idea is that we have two sites. We have uh, the Node.js side that handles the the, the data layer, somehow we read markdown files, generate uh, props, and uh, and uh, trigger the static set generation from the Node.js process. And on the other side, we have the front end, which is React components, and they, re they receive the props that the Node.js uh, layer uh, provides them. And um, and then they we use React to render the, the front end of the application. And this is a modular architecture. So each um, we have uh, three core plugins. We have one for pages, which is basically uh, landing pages. We have one for the blog, which is basically a, a list of blog posts. And we have features like uh, the the tags, uh, pagination, and things like that, and uh, an archive. And maybe later we will have a, a page for each author of the blog posts and things like that. And we have the docs plugin, which is a uh, um, a set of documentation that can be versioned and for which we can have a sidebar on the on the left and and uh, that's it yeah i i um think it's an interesting thing for anyone who's interested in sort of how these things work to kind of go look at underlying source code for the tooling that you're using and uh, one of the things that i admire about docusaurus is that um, even though it's a it's a fairly large code base because it's a really well developed product, is uh, the code is really well organized. Um, you can kind of dive in once you understand that you're in a Lerna package. Of course, there's uh, you know the the basics of mono repos, but um, plugins, utilities, all those things kind of fall into a nice place. And I think this ends up being a really good example of um, software engineering as well. So if you're someone who's uh, and the step in the journey of your career where you're sort of figuring out like what does it mean to write a code base that is something that can be maintained uh, and what does it mean to organize code in a way where I know where things are and are consistent and whatnot? Um, the DocuSource team uh, has has done a really, really great job of organizing things in there. And I think that's something to look up to and probably something that you don't uh, uh, hear much, but I think it's very, very valuable to um, to experience and to kind of see as an end user too. Uh, Sebastian, I'd like to pivot a little bit and talk some more about This Week in React. So um, can you give the elevator pitch for your newsletter? Yeah, so about uh, the, the newsletter, so the idea behind it is that there are not a lot of uh, uh, newsletters for senior developers and there is not a lot of uh, content for senior developers. Uh, if you are a React beginner, you will find a ton of people that uh, will provide you a, a React roadmap uh, to get started and to learn how, you know, the, the path to learn React from scratch. But once you already know React, like me, I'm, I'm doing React for like nine years or something like that i don't need to learn react anymore i just need to 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 get a uh, content that is 
to my level as something that I would be interested in. And it's uh, surprisingly hard to find interesting content once you are already experienced uh, with the technology. So the idea for me is that I, with this newsletter, this is a curation newsletter where I pick links I found on the internet and I restitute them in a, in a, a weekly email. And the idea is that uh, you don't, um, the idea is that you save time and you get uh, the relevant news on the plateau somehow. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter and scroll a lot of Twitter uh, so that you, you, you don't have to somehow because it's quite uh, addictive to, to be on Twitter and uh, try to find meaningful uh, content there. And um, so the idea is that uh, I keep I keep you updated on everything React, and you don't have to to spend a lot of time on social network to find uh, the great content that you you are interested in. And this is mostly for senior developers that are not looking to learn from scratch, but uh, instead uh, they just want to keep up to date with the latest news and eventually also include uh, including weak signals and and pull requests being merged and things like that. Yeah, I think the um, uh, one of the big values of this too is if you want to know how someone like Sebastian is thinking about learning React or the things that are that uh, you know an experienced developer is finding useful, uh, it's a great place to go for those sorts of things. And the pattern I've found with it in particular is that many of the things I read about in this week in React aren't uh, useful to me straight away, but they are something that I come back to often. So. Uh, I have a massive pile of bookmarks that are uh, the result of reading, you know, the weekly newsletter, and it's made it really easy to come back to developer patterns and tools and techniques that uh, will come in handy for me or that I think are, are something that I'll bump into before long. Um, whereas I think the beginner tutorial world is very much like zero to one, hello world, and, and sort of the same thing over and over with maybe a different learning style or personality or language. Um, I, I find uh, the, the things that you put together to be extremely helpful for that reason uh, and often are things that um, sort of float around in the back of my mind uh, for a few weeks before I end up getting to use them, but uh, really, really an interesting um, and valuable resource for me as well. Um, so that that's something that obviously you mentioned before, you're working on this about half of the time. Um, this is something that, that also um, I think probably helps to build upon itself that you're able to make relationships with people who are uh, producing great content and whatnot. Um, is this something that you think about as its own business? Uh, yeah, it's totally something I'm, I'm uh, considering as a business now because uh, in the beginning, the goal was to attract uh, customers. And I didn't need that because uh, I was working for Facebook. And the thing is, um, I, I thought... Uh, should I stop the newsletter because I don't really benefit from it or should I continue it and grow it to a point where it will be sustainable and find a business model? And there were already existing um, newsletters that uh, that were profitable. For example, you probably heard of uh, Cooper Press, which um, has uh, newsletters like uh, JavaScript Weekly and things like that. So there are a few newsletters that are already uh, making uh, a good money from uh, their work uh, trying to find the most interesting links for developers. And I thought uh, I, could I could do the same, but maybe with a different editorial line, which is uh, focused on uh, more senior React developers also interested in React Native and particularly interested in uh, also the cross-platform uh, uh, union of uh, React and React Native. 
So I decided to try to monetize it. It took a really long time, but now I think it's on track to, to become a sustainable project. Uh, I'm not covering exactly the hourly rate I have from uh, my work with Facebook, but uh, slowly it's increasing and it compounds over time. So I think it's interesting. And uh, I'm now quite known in the React ecosystem, including from sponsors. Uh, so many sponsors uh, contact me because they want to sponsor the newsletter and for example today the newsletter is full uh, in terms of uh, sponsorship in, until the end of the year so that's quite nice yeah wow that's really exciting uh, I, I would love to know some of the things that you've learned while um, figuring out how to work with with uh, building your audience so I think there's two sides to that is, um, you know, sponsorship is an interesting thing. Like, has it been, um, has it been challenging to learn to work with sponsors? Uh, and I'm also kind of interested in, uh, has it been challenging to, uh, prioritize which content goes in which, which issue of your newsletter? Uh, are you overwhelmed with things that you want to share or is it a little more work to go and find the right sort of things to share? Uh, so generally, first, I am quite overwhelmed with the things I want to share, yeah, for, of course. Uh, the thing is I'm also filtering quite aggressively and try to keep mails not too long. They are already super long uh, with lots of links. But the thing is, if you send an email that is too long, Gmail will truncate it. And this is really bad because it gives uh, no full experience to the reader. Uh, so I can't include too many links, otherwise the, this happens. And so as part of my editorial line, I try to not put the same content that other React newsletters um, send. For example, all the step-by-step -step tutorials that you mentioned, this is something I don't like to include too much unless this is about something very, uh, uh, very cutting-edge technology that I want to, to show how uh, maybe the first tutorial on a new technology, I will include it. But, um, you know, the, the goal is not to, to be exhaustive and, and include every step-by-step -step tutorial uh, that, that has been uh, published out there. And also, I really focus on um, super uh, time-sensitive content. Uh, so the idea is that if a blog post hasn't been published in the last month, uh, it's too old for me somehow. I, I really focus on things that are new and consider that the readers um, already know the things and are reading me for a long time so they don't need me to to resurface old projects because uh because they maybe already know them so i for example if a project that i discovered doesn't have a key event like a major new version and a, a blog post that explains why uh, this version is great and what's the purpose of the project and things like that uh, I won't include a random uh, GitHub link unless it's uh, there is a key event about uh, this project. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Regarding your sponsorship questions. So yes, uh, it's quite complicated to work with sponsors. And actually, uh, from all the time I spent on the newsletter, I think Alf is about managing sponsors, which is uh, quite annoying because uh, uh, this is a necessary thing to do. But uh, <laughs> You know, I'd prefer to, to improve the quality of the newsletter rather than uh, discussing with, with sponsors. But the thing is, you have to, to convince them to sponsor the newsletter. Some of them want uh, some kind of reporting. Uh, you also have to explain when uh, what's the ad format for the newsletter. Uh, you have to, to remind them to send the ad on time. 
and uh, yeah, there are a lot of things. And many times also you you call out them to to try to convince them to sponsor. So that's a lot of emails to to send. <laughs> yeah, uh, quite a bit of coordination, and I can understand how that would add up to uh, most of the time, half the time at least that you spend on things. Certainly. Um, well, it's a, it's a remarkable thing you've done. And I think one of the, the best things about it too, is that like, I'm sure you're benefiting from this, but it's a, a value to the community. And I think that's the sort of thing that, um, you know, community projects that, uh, help other people to grow their skills and to, uh, make themselves better. There's a clear value there. Uh, and certainly for the right sponsors, that makes a lot of sense too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's, it's a very cool thing that around, um, Sebastian, th thanks so much for joining me for the podcast today. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, absolutely a blast chatting with you and kind of getting to to know about you. Um, before I let you go, uh, are there what's the best place to find uh, you online, uh, and how can I find this week in React? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Sebastian Lorbert and on LinkedIn also. Uh, I don't think there is a handle, but uh, Sebastian Lorbert too. And uh, yeah, I, I'm on many communities and the newsletter is this week on inreact.com. So it's quite easy to find it too. Great. And uh, Docusaurus as well. Uh, where's the uh, URL for that? Docusaurus.io to, to get the documentation. And if you want to give it a try, it's just uh, docusaurus.new. That's great. Thanks so much. And of, of course, if you're listening to the show, uh, the, we will have a whole pile of links for you in the show notes from things that Sebastian has mentioned along the way. Um, Sebastian Lorber, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, have a great day. Thanks. Me too.